0: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing all right? Getting a couple nods. It's good. It's good. You're all wide awake. I like that. So again, I want to thank you for being with us. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for the opportunity to, to gather together as a body of believers, uh, worshiping through song, worshiping through prayer, through the spoken word of God, and and now in the time of the preached word of God. Now, if you've not been with us the past couple weeks, we have been walking through uh, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. This is uh, the Philippians. So we are back in the book or the letter of the Philippians this morning in our series called joyful unity, and so now we're going to be pressing on this morning, still in chapter one, but pressing past Paul's introduction this morning, and our goal this morning is to see that um, as we see Paul imprisoned still, we need to see that he maintains joy by keeping what can best be described as a Christ-centered perspective, and he does this by staying focused both on the gospel, but also on the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I think this is important for us this morning because as as Christians today, living in a in a Western society, a society that is distracted by, by so many things, I think this is honestly something that we are struggling with ourselves. You see, we have been losing our focus. We have been losing our perspective. So much has changed for us over the past 20 months that I really am believing that as a Christian culture, if you will, as churches, we are beginning to lose sight of what really matters. So as we look at our text this morning, we're going to see that Paul knew and understood that even his own situation had changed. And now being imprisoned, knowing that this would cause many churches, especially his support churches, to worry about his situation. And yet in Paul's own words, he would write to them because he did not want the church to lose sight of what mattered most. You see, as we've already read in Paul's own words here to the letter to the Philippi, um, we see that he wrote because he was eager To hear from them, but at the same time, he knew that they must have been eager to hear from him as well, knowing that he was in prison. So by this point in our letter, we've already studied in Philippians 1, 1 through 11, we see that Paul has now thanked God for the local church at Philippi. We also see that he's now expressed his love for them, and so he offers a prayer for them, which is what we talked about last week. And as we move into our text today, we're now going to see Paul give a report of his present situation. Now, here's the reality as you read Philippians individually and corporately together. Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, clearly has a positive attitude as he writes back to the local church. Now, many of us would probably ask at this point, Paul, why would you be so positive? I mean, Paul, you are imprisoned You are shackled to a guard. You have an impending trial that could ultimately determine whether you would live or whether you would die. So how can you be filled with so much joy during this time? Well, as we're gonna read this morning and as we continue through Philippians, Paul was filled with joy because Paul was seeing the gospel advance. Every day, people were hearing the gospel every day others were proclaiming the gospel boldly and this is exactly what paul wanted and what paul desired for the local church in fact if you go ahead and and look ahead to paul's final words in our passage today in verse 18 paul says in his own words christ is proclaimed and in that i rejoice now notice this about paul Paul was not whining about his situation. Paul was not complaining about his current circumstance. But rather what Paul was teaching the local church was how we are to maintain a Christ-centered perspective. As we continue to read, we're going to see that Paul was not worried about his critics. Paul clearly imprisoned, was not in the midst of some ripe mission field. I imagine that if many of us thought about what the ideal mission field would be, I'm quite confident none of us would say prison shackled to a guard. But notice for Paul, he was stuck in prison, shackled, and yet he rejoiced because he was still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the guards, to the politicians, to anyone who would come along and hear his message. And in this moment, he knew that the gospel was being advanced. So as we look this morning at Paul's writing, let's see Paul teach us. Let's see how Paul teaches the The local church, how we are now called to maintain joy by keeping what Paul can best describe as a Christ-centered perspective. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me. We are still in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. And once you have found your place, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now again, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you so much for this morning. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have today to gather Father, we thank you for this moment that we have to come together as one faith family and to proclaim you, to declare you boldly. And so, Father, we ask and pray that in these next few moments together, we, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. Father, we thank you that we've been able to worship you in song today. We thank you and praise you that we've been able to worship you through prayer, through the spoken word. And Father, we pray in these next few moments as we seek understanding according to your word, Father, we pray that you would be lifted up, that you would be magnified above all else. So Father, prepare our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears for your truth today. And Lord, we ask that you alone would be glorified. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And as in your precious and holy name we pray, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. Now, as we look at Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 18 together, I want us to understand that here is one of the more timely and what I believe one of the most relevant passages that we have in the New Testament on how to maintain joy. You see, the reality is, man, there is so much happening all around us that can truly rob us of our joy. There is so much happening around us right now that can truly fill us with frustration and worry. In fact, I would, I would beg to wonder how many of us are dealing with responsibilities now that are, that are so vast that we've, we've never seen these type of responsibilities before. Or maybe we're dealing with the pressures of work or even the pressures of life. All these things may have increased over this new season that we're living in. And so I imagine for each of us, there probably has come a moment at some point where even as adults, we've looked at one another, or maybe we've thought this internally where we simply said, man, I am just ready to give up. I am ready to stay in bed. I am ready to throw my phone out the window. And if you're fortunate enough to have a pool, you've probably walked by your pool thinking I should get in, but I really think my phone deserves this time in the pool. And so you probably wanted to throw your phone in there. I would imagine there are many of us today who have simply said, man, enough. I just can't today. Man, it's in these moments that, as Christians, if we're not careful, we can find that our joy is being robbed. And so, as we look at this passage today, Paul speaks in this moment for the speaks to the local church, and he teaches that the best way to maintain joy is to keep our focus on Jesus Christ. He teaches them that the the way to maintain joy is to keep our focus on the gospel. You see, for Paul, he would probably acknowledge with us today, yes, life may be hard, but when we keep our focus on Jesus Christ, then we have a reason to rejoice. So as you're going to see today, it is really all about maintaining a healthy Christ-centered perspective. Now again, pay attention to Paul in this moment. Paul again in prison, Paul, in, in word, getting out to the local church about Paul being imprisoned and, and not knowing what Paul's future was. Many churches at this moment feared what was happening, and so they began to abandon Paul. Paul also, at the same time, was dealing with critics, critics who were coming into churches that he helped plant in order to lie about him. And the gospel in the local churches that he was now helping to plant, and all of a sudden, the messages were becoming deceptive. And so what happened was this moment led to despair within the church. And so Paul teaches the local church today. He says, look, do not lose heart. Do not lose your focus. Keep perspective on what is happening. Again, I want to say that too many times people will come to us. People will come to us with the goal of tearing down the church. There may people there may be people who come into our lives who who come into the local church maybe they're members maybe they're not but they come into the local church and they want to specifically point out all Of the problems. And so, what ultimately ends up happening is we as believers begin to compare ourselves to others, which, if you're not paying attention, may lead you to begin to struggle with your own pride or struggle with your own depression. Because when you compare yourself or you compare your church to another church, you realize you may not be doing the same thing. And then you realize you're not adding up to what it is that they are doing. And so, Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, he says, Listen, don't focus on that. Don't focus on the critics. Don't don't focus on the naysayers. Don't don't, don't start comparing yourselves to others. But rather, again, maintain a Christ-centered perspective. And so there's two ways that Paul gives us in our passage this morning on how we can maintain a Christ-centered perspective. The first way is this. In verses 12 through 14, Paul teaches that we should put the gospel before all else. You see, Paul, the reality is Paul could have sent a letter going on and on about how bad prison had been for him. Paul had every reason and motivation to talk about how hard his journey had been to this point. Again, Paul was a sickly man, but then to go through the things that Paul went through, he had plenty of opportunity to complain to the local church at Philippi. However, Paul starts our passage with a statement about how God was at work even in his present moment. And so we see Paul saying a phrase, that what has happened to me. Now in this moment, Paul is probably referring to everything that has taken place from Jerusalem all the way to where he is now in Rome. Again, think about what Paul has been through by this point. Paul lived through a riot. Paul spent two years imprisoned in Caesarea. Paul appealed to Caesar. There were threats upon his life. And then if that wasn't bad enough, in the midst of being moved, Paul was in a shipwreck. And now he finds himself under arrest and awaiting an impending trial. And yet for Paul, none of these things mattered. None of them mattered to Paul. Because as he goes on to say, he says, has really served To advance the gospel. That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, again, pay attention to Paul's perspective here. Paul wasn't bragging about being imprisoned, Paul wasn't saying, You think your life is bad? Woe is me, okay? I mean, think about that for a moment. Do you have that person in your life who you talk to and you're sitting there going, man, I've had a rough week. My kids have been out of control. This has been hard. Oh, by the way, I found out I had an infestation in my home and things just keep going from bad to worse. And then my boss called me and told me that I may not have a job. And then all of a sudden your friend looked at you and said, do you think that's bad? I was in a devastating car accident that I couldn't control. I mean, I was literally just sitting at a red light when all of a sudden this person just lit me up and pushed me into the intersection and then I got T-boned by another car. And I wasn't even the driver. Doggone Uber. Notice Paul doesn't do that at all. Notice his perspective here. You see, Paul could have surveyed his current situation and talked about all the bad that had happened. But notice that Paul doesn't see the bad that's happened. Rather, he sees the good news that's going on. He sees that the gospel was moving forward. He sees that the gospel is now making its way into new territories. I mean, the Romans tried everything they could to keep Paul quiet, but even in this moment, Paul was still given a captive audience. Now, think about that for a moment. You see, Paul, the great missionary. Instead of living freely, instead of moving about the nations, God allowed Paul to be imprisoned. And it was through his imprisonment that God would make the gospel known to Rome. You see, for us, we need to pay attention to what Paul's saying and doing here. You see, for us today, we need to keep perspective on what's happening in our lives and how it relates to the gospel because we never know how God may use our current suffering in order to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I love what D.A. Carson says about this particular point. He says, in the middle of our suffering, we never know what will happen. However, We must trust that God is sovereign and he can advance the gospel through great hardships. Our job is to stay faithful. Our job is to stay joyful. Our job is to stay Christ-centered through the suffering. You see, as believers today, We need to view our hardships. We need to view our present circumstances as opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand today that your current employment and your current place of work or your current school is not something that just happened to you. You're not there by accident. Rather, what we are going through, what we are experiencing is a God-ordained moment. And so Paul continues from there in his letter. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Now, again, when Paul says these words, he's more than likely talking about the elite imperial guard remember for the past two weeks we've been talking about how Paul uh, wasn't just sitting in a dungeon rotting away with water dripping on his head rather Paul was more than likely under house arrest but this house arrest didn't include some sort of ankle bracelet that he wore rather it was it was better than that for Paul Paul was literally shackled to a guard OK, so every day, as we talked about the past couple of weeks, Paul had a new opportunity to share the gospel with another guard who had nowhere to go. And so we talked about what that must have been like for him. Now, when you think about these elite imperial guards, these weren't just your typical run-of-the-mill soldiers, okay? These weren't guys that just simply sharpened swords or, or shined uh, shields or, or, or helped create weapons. That's not what they did. These were the strongest and the smartest leaders within the Roman army. And so each day, a different guard would have been connected or chained to Paul so that Paul would teach them the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, based on what we know about the Roman military, it is possible that this particular imperial guard would have been a group of 9,000 soldiers. Now, just think about that for a moment. Paul had the opportunity to share the gospel with up to 9,000 different people. And so Paul in this moment reveals that he prized the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he took joy in sharing this good news. And so when we compare Paul's situation to our own current circumstances, we have to ask ourselves this morning, man, what is our excuse for not sharing the gospel right where God has us? I mean, here's a, here's a reality check for us as Christians. And I hear the popping, so I'm going I'm to turn this mic off, and I'm just going to stick to the pulpit mic. Is that okay? Boom, let's do that. Are we here? Are we good? Excellent. I don't know what the popping is. It happens. We just deal with it. Technology, God bless it. But here's the reality check for us this morning. Our failure to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ to unbelievers is directly tied to our lack of talking about the gospel to Anyone? Now, let me unpack that a little bit further because some among us will say, Hey, let's go somewhere and let's share the gospel. Some among us will say, My heart and my passion is for somewhere else, and they name a different place in the country or they name a different place around the world. And all these things are good and right, but to that, here's what I want to say this morning. If you are not willing to do Uh, the, The business of sharing the gospel right where you are, right where God has you, then trust me when I say this, you will not share the gospel when you are on mission somewhere else. If sharing the gospel is not an active part of right where you are, then trust me you will not do it when you end up going somewhere else. It just won't happen. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning as Christians, man, who are we sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with? Better yet, who will we share the gospel with this week? Coming back to our text, Paul continues in verse 14. He says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now again, take stock of what is happening and, and what Paul is telling us here. You see, when, when others heard about Paul's boldness, when others heard about Paul's willingness to, co- to continue to share the gospel even though he was imprisoned, when they heard about his his passion to make Jesus known that he was willing to share with guards and, and other political officials and leaders who would come meet with him, they were then inspired to a greater faithfulness and they pressed forward in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the same boldness that Paul had. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Isn't it amazing How God can use a single moment of boldness for the gospel to inspire other timid believers to press forward in their own courage and in their own confidence and in their own boldness to make Jesus known. You don't believe me? Then think about this for a moment. If I say the name Jim Elliott, many of us in this room know who that is, right? Right? Many of us know. Many of us have read his stories. Many of us saw the movie. Many of us read the biography that was put out. Many of us probably owned the journal that his wife published. But when Jim and four missionary friends were killed by the Alka Indians, we often forget the response. The the response in that moment was a high number of Christians who prepared themselves to go witness to that same group. The response that we saw even from one school at Wheaton College, graduates all of a sudden graduating with degrees, then offered themselves to be missionaries in the many years to come. So what we have is is this, one spark for the gospel of Jesus Christ can set off a wildfire of Christians living their lives as a part of a bold missionary movement so then we come back to our text and I want you to notice the words that Paul uses. He says words like confident, bold, without fear. Now, I want you to remember these words. In fact, if you underline in your Bible or you're taking notes, write those words down because here's what's going to happen. As we continue on to this letter, Paul will continue to call the local church and us today. He's going to continue to call us to pray. And he's going to continue to call us to pursue several different Christian qualities. And one of the more prominent ones we're going to see is the quality of courage. Now I want us to think about that for a moment because here's the question I have for us today is why are we so willing to show courage in some areas but we're completely unwilling to show it in others? For example, if we saw someone being attacked, we would probably step in. If we saw someone who was in an accident and we just witnessed it, we are more inclined to stop and see if we can help. If someone's car breaks down in the middle of the road, many of us will pull over and help move that car. I've seen it. I've heard about it from each of you. If something were to happen in this place, many of us in this room would jump into action. We have no problem jumping into those moments and helping. But here's the question we need to ask ourselves. If that's true for these other moments, then why? Why, when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone, do we cower in fear in the corner, hoping to never be noticed? Why is it so easy then to go on a quick mission trip anywhere in the world and share the gospel there, but yet when we come back here, we can't even talk to our neighbors about Jesus Christ? You see, as believers today, we need to to pray for the same boldness that Paul had in prison. We need to pray for the same courage and the boldness that he spoke of when he spoke of the other believers who were out proclaiming the gospel. We need to pray for that same courage as we seek to make the gospel known right where God has us. You see, we need to maintain a Christ-centered perspective when it comes to the advancement of the gospel. And so Paul teaches us that if we want to keep a Christ-centered perspective, we need to put the gospel first before our current circumstances. We move from there into verses 15 through 18 and we see Paul's second point that he makes about keeping a Christ-centered perspective. He says that not only should you put the gospel first before all things, but secondly, we need to place the glory Of Christ Jesus above our own. Now, in these particular verses, Paul now shifts the conversation over to uh, evangelists and missionaries who really have two types of motives, and that's what we see this morning. So, what we have is we have a moment where some were inspired by Paul's imprisonment while others were not. In fact, in the text, Paul tells us that some preached Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And so Paul tells us that some are using this moment as an opportunity to tear down Paul. Some are using this moment as an opportunity to stir up trouble and to elevate their own individual ministries. Meanwhile, for Paul, there were others who continued to preach and teach faithfully, not because they were concerned about their own selfish ambition or their own personal gain, but they did it because they loved Jesus Christ. They preached the gospel because they loved to serve out of goodwill. And they preached the gospel because they continued to seek the mission of God and the advancement of that mission to the nations. And so this is important for us because we need to be careful of which type of person we are. Paul warns us away from envy in this passage and rivalry and selfish ambition. You see, as Christians, we need to be on guard against these things. Envy and rivalry and selfish ambition, they can can creep up when we begin to compare ourselves to others. You see, when we no longer rejoice in the Savior's work, then we can become envious for what it is that God is doing within others. And So we need to ask ourselves regularly, do I rejoice when my brothers and sisters succeed? Do I rejoice when there's victory in their life? Or do I become envious because it's happened to them, but it didn't happen to me? Paul warns that we need to check our motivations even before serving. Is that service about us? Are we seeking the ones to be glorified? Or is it Jesus Christ? Are we now wrapped up in our own motivation? Or is the motivation about bringing glory to God? You know, I got to be honest with you this morning, it is really. Always saddened me to see Christians compete against one another. I can't tell you how many state conventions and national conventions that I've been to where churches get acknowledged for being the fastest growing church in their area. Now we can can argue over that measure today and I've got my own opinions on that. And so if that's you and you'd like to argue with me on that, I'd love to talk to you about it because I think we're probably going to make the same argument to be quite honest with you. But what breaks my heart is when I've sat in these crowds with other pastors and and we celebrated what the Lord was doing in other churches and in other other states and in other countries, and then all of a sudden I'm sitting next to a brother who literally I probably just met a couple moments ago, and they say things like this, man, I wish that was happening in our church. Why can't we be more like that church? You see, we got to be careful when we compare ourselves to others. We especially got to be careful when we compare ourselves to other churches because the reality is this, man, we are on the same team. It just means that God has a different work for them. Now that team concept is, is something that's very interesting. It's something that I think a, a lot of us know about. You see, right now, if you're, if, you're, if you're not a fan of sports, then just stay with me for a second. But football season has begun, okay? Okay. It is the most wonderful time of the year in the Harvey House. I mean, this weekend has been a great weekend for me. Football started on Wednesday, and then I got to watch football on Thursday. That game did not go as well as I wanted it to, but that's okay. I got to watch a couple high school games on Fridays from some dear friends who were still coaching, and that was wonderful. And then Saturday happened, and it was magical. I mean, if they had a football tree that you could put up in your house, I would have one. Okay? I really would. I love it. My kids hate it, okay, because dad has taken over the television. But what I love about this weekend and what I love about the game is this. I've yet to see a football game where one person won a game. It takes all 11 on offense, all 11 on defense, all 11 on special teams. It takes coaches who prepare players who then go out and execute a plan that has been worked on in some cases for weeks. And if it's not executed well, it'll be seen. If one player makes a mistake, it'll be noticed. If a team starts fighting within itself, they won't win. You know, you think, I think the same thing is true for our churches today. When we start fighting with other churches and it's no longer about the glory of God, if it's all of a sudden about who's got the better church, guess what's happening? God's not being glorified, and who's losing? The church is, not Jesus. When we start fighting within our own church, now again, we're going to disagree at times, okay? It's going to happen. I'm looking out right now, and I see several people in this room who are brothers and sisters in Christ, and it is safe to say that even we have disagreed, okay? I'm going to pick on somebody right now. Pastor Corey, who we see each other every day. There are times where we disagree. Now, I'm going to go and tell you 90% of the time I'm right. That's not true. Wait a minute. Sarah, why did you shake your head no, that's not true? I just noticed that. Man, okay, I see how it is, Sarah. (laughs) We have moments where we disagree, but you know what? At the end of the day, we're still brothers in Christ. At the end of the day, we still have the same goal. It's to see God glorified, It's to see the gospel advance. And so we don't let disagreements, we don't let differences tear us apart. Because when the church is divided, that's when the church will fall. When the church becomes selfish and self-centered, that's when the church will fall. So Paul reminds us that we have got to keep ourselves focused on the goal. Man, we may have different ways of doing it, but the reality is we are on the same team, which is this, we want to see God glorified. So if you come to a church and you've had disagreements with people in the church, don't come in looking for them to trip and fall as they walk down the pew or down the aisles, but rather stay focused on what the message is. You see, our message is about how our Savior, Jesus Christ, emptied himself for sinners. And because of what Jesus has done, because he is the only one who deserves to be glorified, because he alone is worthy of worship, we as believers can now avoid the trap of selfish ambition when we recognize and care more for the glory of Jesus Christ than we do anything else. Another reality we see from Paul is this. There are going to be times where others are going to see you living passionately for Jesus. And then unfortunately, they're going to become jealous of you as well. They may even try to disassociate from you or as Paul said, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. These other people who Paul would refer to as Christians, they call themselves Christians, they will try to come and attack you and slander you because of what you are doing for the glory of God. And so here's the reality, man. We're going to know them. We're going to know who they are. They're going to come for you. And the reason why is because you support a biblical decision. They will come after you because you support the word of God and you're not wrapped up in your feelings. They will attack you. They may even abandon you for the work that is being done because the reality is they want no part of the advancement of the gospel because it does not serve them. So what do we do when this happens? What do we do when people around us turn against us what do we do when it's ourselves who are being slandered when it's our church that's being ridiculed and slandered well paul tells us that there is a response and we see it in his own response notice this notice that paul doesn't defend himself in this moment When he talks about the attacks, he doesn't doesn't get wrapped up in all the confrontation at all at this moment. Rather, Paul knows that God is going to judge the hearts of the people, so Paul stays focused on Jesus Christ, and he continues to seek the glory of God before all else. You see, this is a good lesson for us this morning. We cannot control what others think about us. I'm going to say that again. We, let me change that. You cannot control what others think of you. All you can do is be faithful to what God has called you to. All you can do is seek to glorify God above all else. Now let me unpack what I'm talking about here. You see, there's going to come a moment where we are all going to be standing before the throne of God. There's going to come a moment where we are all going to be standing before the judgment seat of our holy God. And here's the reality. If you're someone in this room and you struggle with what people think of you, if you're seeking the gratification and the satisfaction with people liking you, then understand this. There's coming a moment where you will stand in judgment and no one will be there. It will just be us. And by God's grace, Jesus Christ standing with us before the throne of God. And so in that moment, what will be said of us? Will we we be seen and will it be said that we were someone who lived a bold faith? Or will we be seen as someone who lived in fear of what others would think? As someone who lived in fear of of the gratification we get from others seeking that gratification. And so we lived in fear of ever letting them know that we were faithful Christians. And Paul comes back to the text and he closes with the ultimate statement on maintaining a Christ-centered perspective. He says this, what then? This is verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that... I rejoice. Man, notice what mattered most to Paul. You see, what mattered to Paul was that the gospel was being proclaimed. Now, I'm quite confident there were probably a lot of people who were talking bad about Paul. and I'm sure Paul would have preferred that there would have been another message or another motive that would have been pure. But Paul is saying, but listen, if the message is right, if the gospel is going out, Paul was saying, look, I can, I can work with that. You see, Paul didn't care what was being said about him. And so I think this is an important word for our community today. Hearts are naturally deceptive. Hear me when I say this. Even the best of people can speak and respond in a dumb way for bad reasons. Now, does that mean we should excuse sin when it happens? No, absolutely not. However, we should seek to remember the heart of the gospel in those moments. We should seek to stay focused on what should matter. So as believers, we should pray for and seek a Christ-centered message with Christ-honoring motives. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, man, what is our motive? What is our, our motivation? Is it to glorify God or are we seeking to glorify ourselves? You see, for Paul, Paul reminded the local church that we are called to be a people who speak the gospel that has been entrusted to us. And not only to speak it, but then to, to pray for those around us who are, who are out proclaiming that gospel as well. You see, we should be a a people who care about the gospel, a people who care about God being glorified. You see, that was the heart of Paul while he was in prison. For Paul, people's words about him did not matter. For Paul, his, his present circumstance did not matter as long as Christ Jesus was being made known. And it was in that that Paul rejoiced. So what about us this morning? How are we making the good news of Jesus Christ known? How are we seeing our current circumstance as an opportunity to make much of the glory of God? I mean, sure, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. We, we may not like our current situation. You may be in a position right now where you are just not happy. You don't like it. It's not going well. Okay? I'm confident if I asked some of our teachers in the room, some of our nurses in the room, and I asked them, how's it going? I'm confident many of them would say, not good. I don't like my current circumstance. We may find ourselves in a position where we're not comfortable. Maybe you're in a season where you're being stretched. Life has changed around you. I mean, come on, the past 20 months of everybody's life has changed now due to a pandemic maybe it's more stressful than it's been ever before maybe maybe everything is changing around you and all of a sudden you're just struggling to handle all of those changes well whether you're you're struggling with your current situation whether you're not you're comfortable maybe you're struggling with change it is in these moments that we need to be reminded of the fundamentals of our faith you see as christians we exist for the advancement of the gospel, for the glory of God. Our mission is to preach and teach the good news of Jesus Christ, and our passion is for God to be glorified above all else. And so if we keep this focus, then we will be able to maintain joy. If we keep this focus, we will be able to keep a christ centered perspective. May that be our prayer today. May that be our prayer for the days ahead. Let's pray together.